Well, good morning, everyone. My name is Nate. I'm one of the pastors here. I do see a lot of red this morning, so that's great. I brought my red, but somewhat covered up a little bit. But it's, it's, it's close to my heart, put it that way, right? Really good to be with you. I love how we've started this year praying for uh, the churches around us on Knoll Avenue here, praying for Christ Church this morning. It's our last Sunday praying for the other churches. There are five uh, total, six total, praying for one another as we started this new year out. And it just reminds me that, that we are part of a bigger movement of God in our community, that uh, Hillcrest is, is not the only church, that there's others around us that are really trying to lift up God, glorify God, and bring his kingdom. And it makes me think about our neighborhoods. Like, what would it be like if you identified a few of your neighbors that were followers of Jesus and said, hey, let's link up arms and let's love our neighbors and let's do something uh, to, to see the kingdom of God expand in our neighborhood? You know, just to be reminded that, that we're not out there alone, but we're part of a bigger movement of God. I love how we start the year doing that. This morning, we're finishing up our, our posture series, this deep dive we've taken into human sexuality over the last several weeks. And it's been a little bit like putting together a, a puzzle or maybe even a Lego set. I got to tell you guys, at uh, Christmas this year, uh, I got a gift from Angela and uh, it was a kind of a world I haven't been in for a long time, maybe since eighth grade, but she got me a Lego set. She got me a Jeep Wrangler Lego set. Uh, this is what it looks like when it's all put together and it's got doors that open, a hood, it's got independent suspension. I geeked out a little bit over this, this Lego Jeep. Um, but, you know, I haven't put Legos together for myself in like decades. And so it was fun on Christmas Day. I spent about four hours. I put the to-do list over here, my schedule, and I just said, I'm doing a Lego Jeep and just focused in for several hours of snapping pieces together and, and trying to make it happen. There's 665 pieces in this Lego kit. And here's what it looks like when you open the box and you pour it out. It's just all these individual pieces, tires, stickers, instruction book. You can download an app that will guide you through putting it together if, uh, if you're like me and you need that extra help. Uh, so it, it was really fun putting that together. And as I was working, every so often I would look up at Angela and, um, you know, my eyes are are fading a little bit as I'm getting older. So I, I'm sad to say this, but I had a headlamp on while I was working on the Legos. Um, so I would look up at Angela and she'd, you know, shine the light in her eyes. But then she'd have that little sly smile on her face, you know, like, yeah, I got you that gift. You know, I'm making your day. She just loved seeing me uh, enjoy a toy for the first time in probably a decade since I've gotten a toy for Christmas. And my birthday rolled around a few weeks ago. And guess what Angela got me for my birthday? Another Lego set. Yeah. So I'm rolling in Legos these days. Um, my point is this, when, when you pour out that box and you, you see all those pieces, uh, it can be a little bit overwhelming. Like to trying to do all, you're like, man, there is a lot here. And there's times when it's frustrating because the pieces don't go together the way they're supposed to go together, or you can't find the piece that you're looking for as you're trying to snap them all together. And in some ways, as we've been going through this series, it maybe has felt a little bit like that for some of us. We have all these opinions and, and convictions around our sexuality. Many of us have strong beliefs around uh, sex before marriage and sexual orientation and same sex sexual activity and gender expression and uh, some of us have never really thought much about it, and, and this might be the first time we're pushing into your discipleship with Jesus in and, and regards to your sexuality and what, what God's word has to say about it. But it's kind of like we have a Lego box that says human sexuality on it, and we've poured out all these pieces, and it might look a little bit like uh, a bunch of ideas and principles, but we don't know what it's going to look like when we put it all together. And my hope is this morning we can, we can put it all together and you can get your mind around a little bit more, get your mind around what does it look like to have a biblical understanding of sexuality 
um, and what we believe the Bible says to us about it. And this is why on, on the first Sunday of this series, I started by talking about what our hoped for outcomes would be as we went through these six weeks, that, that there, was, there was a reason we were going through this and that we had some, some outcomes we were hoping to see happen. And we came up with four of them as your, your staff team, the governance board, uh, small group leaders, Sunday, su- Sunday study leaders, all got together, about 40 of us, and talked about it and came up with four outcomes. And I just want to review those with you as we're, as we're launching back into this last week here. Uh, the first one was we want to live out our vision. So our vision says we want to pursue new life in Jesus, pursue new life together in Jesus. And there's three movements of that vision that we would follow Jesus, we would welcome everyone, and we would love all. And during this school year, we're really focusing in on welcoming everyone. What does it look like to be a place where anyone can come who might believe differently than we do or act differently than we do or look differently than we do, but we want them to be welcomed, to know they are valued as those who are created in the image of God, and we want to grow in our ability to welcome, especially in this area of gender and sexuality. There are people that might think and act differently um, than you do, and we need to welcome them and, and learn how to love. So we want to live out that vision. Second, we want to grow in knowledge of God's word. I hope that you've encountered some powerful passages of scripture in these last few weeks, uh, passages that talk about how God puts you together on purpose, that remind us that we're all spiritually, uh, sexually broken, that we all need to grow in our understanding of our, our sexuality. Um, scripture passages that call us to evaluate how we approach other people when we disagree, and and to look at Jesus and how he loved people so well. A third outcome we were hoping for is that we would just understand cultural change. Over the past decades, our American culture and other cultures around this world have been shifting in their sexual ethics, and a cultural change does not change uh, the unchanging uh, word of God, the eternal truth we find in Scripture. But as our culture changes, we do want to grow in our ability to engage with our neighbors and, and connect with people uh, in our culture that might believe differently than we do. We want to be able to, to meet them where they are and walk with them in this journey. And so understanding what's happening in our culture is important. Fourth, we want to clarify what Hillcrest believes about sexuality. And this morning, I'm hoping that we can kind of wrap that up and that you might leave here this morning understanding very clearly what we as a church community believe about our sexuality Another thing we've done as we've gone through the series is we've created these posture uh, talking points pages. So you've got one near you. I'd love for you to, to find that and, and pick it up for a minute because I want to walk through and review some of where we've been over the last five weeks. Julie's been putting these together each week, and I've found them really helpful in, in keeping us focused and, and moving forward in this uh, conversation together. It's a six-week conversation, and, and every part of the conversation is important. So the first two weeks, we focused in on our posture we said, what, what happens internally or externally when we want to tear someone down or we want to attack someone because of what they believe or how they express themselves? And we said, we need to check our posture and take a look at how Jesus connected with people. And so you see on, under week one, the third point down, it says Jesus' posture welcomed and engaged the social outcasts of his culture and taught a high standard of morality. Jesus had this amazing way of meeting people right where they were and walking with them, and loving them, and asking questions, and continuing to call them to what God created them for, to call them to what God, um, the way of life that God made for them. And the, the last point there, we talked about how can we improve our posture. So on week one, the last point was we can improve our posture towards others by listening to their stories. 
by just sitting and saying, tell me about your experience and tell me about why it is you believe those things. And like Dr. Greg talked about last week, you know, defining terms, like why is it you identify that way? What does that term mean to you? Uh, here's what it means to me. That like engage people in conversation, asking questions and listening. That's a great way to improve your posture. And then the second week, the second bullet point there, we can improve our posture towards others by understanding words used to describe their experience. Instead of hearing a word or something that might set you off or make you angry to say, no, what does that word mean to you? Help me understand your journey and what that's been like in your world. That we can um, understand the language people use to capture their experience the same way we do. And we want to be able to understand uh, where they've come from, where they're going, so we can improve our posture just by learning different languages. And the truth is, the last point on week two, most LGBTQ people who step away from the church, they do so because of posture, not theology. They do so because of how they are treated, how they're looked at, what is said to them. Not so much what we teach or believe. That the, the survey we talked about on that week spoke to that. And I just have to share with you a personal story. When I first joined uh, the Hillcrest community about two and a half years ago, I met with a Hillcrest person who identifies as transgender. And we sat and we had coffee together and I listened to their experience and their identity journey. And I, I asked if you know, as we were talking, I said, do you, you understand where we come from, you know, where our church, our denomination comes from? And they said, yeah, I totally understand your theology around sexuality. I get, I, I know what you believe. And, and then they said something that surprised me. They said, Nate, you know, a year ago, I started going to a church that was fully affirming. And they affirmed my trans experience and the change I was going through. They, they fly a rainbow flag outside the church, he said. And it, it was a warm and friendly place. But after going to several services at that church, I felt like I, I wasn't getting the whole truth. So they talked about the Bible, but they didn't read the Bible together. And he said, so I came back to Hillcrest because you guys talk about the Bible and you read the Bible as a community. And I felt like I would, I would get more of the truth of God in this place. And so I'm back at Hillcrest. It's not our theology that pushes people away, at least not everyone. It's, it's a posture that we take towards others. After the first two weeks, I said, well, let's talk about something we can all relate to. Uh, let's talk about sin. Sin is real. We're all sinners saved by grace. Let's talk about sin. And uh, the, the main point on the bottom of the front page here, week three, the third point, we don't define what sin is. God does. The way of life is engineered and put in place by Jesus. If we want to experience life and walk away from death, turn from death and walk towards life, we want to follow Jesus, we want to know what sin is. And, and, and we don't figure that out by looking inside. I don't look inside myself and say, what am I comfortable with? What makes me happy? What do I like? That's not what leads me to life. What leads me to life is, is saying, Jesus, you are the way, the truth, and the life. How would you have me walk? What is it you've called me to do? And we follow after Jesus. And God has a clear design and purpose for sex. So at the end of week three, the last point on the talking points page, on the other side, if you flip it over, it says, God created sex to be a beautiful ingredient of marriage. But sexual sin, sex outside the marriage relationship, always hurts someone because it operates apart from God's clear design and purpose for sex. We want to honor God with our bodies and how we understand our sexuality. Two weeks ago, we talked about marriage and singleness. I told you about my Match.com experience with Angela, proudly talked about online dating. And then we looked at Paul's letter to the church in Corinth in the seventh chapter, and we read, this is the second point in week four, marriage and singleness are both good and honored in scripture. 
Paul says, if you're married, good. If you're single, that's even better. And he said, this is, those are both callings in our life. They're both good. Jesus, John the Baptist, Paul, these were single people that God used in powerful ways. And they found connection and intimacy in the, the community they were a part of. In the early church, in that circle of disciples, they found uh, joy and connection in those places. We also looked at the Genesis story and the first marriage that was created. And we discovered, and this was in week four, the fourth point there, according to the Bible, marriage is a covenant promise between a man and a woman. We saw in the scripture passage there that the, the sex difference matters according to biblical marriage. It's a standard set in the Genesis passage and it's repeated by Jesus in both Matthew and Mark that the male-femaleness of marriage is important. It matters. Biblical marriage is a covenant promise between a man and a woman. And then last week, we had Dr. Greg Coles with us. We talked about gender and biological sex and gender expression and how they're connected. And we talked about how the Bible gives us great freedom in how we express our gender identity, how we express our, our, our understanding of ourselves. In our culture today, there's these, these tight little boxes of man and woman. And if I don't connect with this, I must be over here. If I don't connect with that, I must be over here. And scripture says, you know what? There's a lot of ways to express your maleness or your femaleness. I liked how we looked at those biblical characters last week. And, you know, we asked those questions. Was David was David expressing his maleness when he was on the battlefield defeating Goliath? Or was it when he was expressing his brotherly love to his friend Jonathan? The Proverbs 31 woman, was she expressing her femaleness when she was buying and selling land, building capital for her family? Or was it when she was cooking a meal for her children? Was Jesus expressing his maleness when he flipped over those retail tables in the synagogue and the temple? Or was it when he was crying with Mary and Martha at the, the funeral of their brother? Our gender stereotypes are often culturally informed and, and not always biblically based. And so we made this point, and this was in week five, the fourth point down. We are embodied people. We have a body, a soul, and a spirit. And the Bible calls us to offer our bodies to God as a living sacrifice. One of the ways we worship God is by laying down our bodies and allowing him to inform how we see ourselves. So when we are ashamed of our bodies, we go to God and we say, God, would you help transform my, my, my heart and my mind? Help me to see myself differently. When we are confused about our identity and our bodies, they don't seem to mix, uh, match right and we're just in a, got a little tornado going on inside of us. We go to God and we say, Father, would you bring clarity? Would you help me understand who you created me to be? Would you speak words over my life? As Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 6, you should know that your body is a temple for the Holy Spirit who is in you. When you become a follower of Jesus, you receive the Holy Spirit from God. So you do not belong to yourselves because you were bought by God at a great price. So honor God with your bodies. What we do with our bodies matters to God. How we treat them, how we use them, it matters to him. All these pieces are coming together to help us form a greater understanding of what the Bible has to say about our identity, our sexuality, our gender. And for some of us, this is the way that the understanding we're talking about is how we've always understood it. We've tried to embrace that our whole lives. And we know we haven't done it perfectly. We're all sexually broken, but this is really the, what we're trying to live out. And for others of us, uh, this biblical teaching on sexuality may, is, may have pushed against uh, your own experience in this world. Either you or, or someone that you love might express sexuality differently or might identify in a different way from these biblical ideals we're talking about. And, and when that is the case, 
Our calling is to love, to welcome, and to invite one another to continue to follow after Jesus. He is the way, the truth, and the life. We invite him to inform our understanding. His teaching is worth building our lives upon, and so that's what we seek to do. God invites us into one of two relational options, either marriage or singleness. And those of you who are single may one day be married, and those of you who are married may one day be single. And and both of these relational realities are, are good, and both can be used by God to engage in our ongoing discipleship and our understanding of the way of life that that Jesus calls us toward. Marriage, again, is that covenant promise between a man and a woman. The Bible defines that for us. And singleness is a calling that allows you to focus, devote yourself fully to the work of God and the community that he calls you to. And as sexual beings, whether we're married or single, our desire to share love and to share our bodies with another is a reminder of God's great love for us. I mean, sex is really a metaphor for the oneness and the intimacy that we were created to experience with our creator. When we read about the man leaving his family and and coming to his wife and becoming one flesh, it's a way of thinking about how we're to be devoted to God, how we're to be connected to him. When Jesus says in John that you need to stay connected and abide in me, he's talking about that oneness, that, that beautiful connection to our father. I like how Dr. Julie Slattery writes about our sexuality. She says this, sex is not just about personal fulfillment and the satisfaction of your sexual desire. It's a call to something infinitely greater. It's a physical reminder that we were never meant to live in isolation and selfish pleasure. We were created for promise, for vulnerability, and for the pursuit and exchange of love that compels us to give ourselves away. Love gives itself away. And our sexuality reminds us that that's what love is all about. So our statement of faith as a church community says we believe in faithfulness in marriage and celibacy and singleness. As married people, we we serve the other and hold true to our promise as a way of glorifying God's faithfulness to us. And as single people, we invite our desire to remind us of our dependence on our creator God. And we allow the spirit to train us, to to discipline our minds. If these are the callings that God has for us in scripture, singleness or marriage, we know there are other forms of of expression when it comes to sexuality. We know there are other ways of expressing sexuality that, that are not in these biblical ideals that we're called to. If God created us in this way and he says, this is the way of life, then the other expressions are a way that move us towards death, move us towards separation from one another in the community that God calls us to. The New Testament has a term to summarize that, uh, that those other expressions, and it uses the word sexual immorality. It's a, a word that is used 50 different times in the words of Jesus and the writings of Paul and the book of Acts and the book of Revelation. And Jesus, one place where Jesus used it, he was challenging the religious leaders of his day. They were talking about how when you take in certain things, it's like you, you, make, yourself, uh, you make yourself impure when you take things in. And, and Jesus said, no, you got it wrong. It's actually the opposite of that. And in, in Mark 7, we read these words. It says, Jesus added, it is what comes from inside that defiles you. From within, out of a person's heart, comes evil thoughts and sexual immorality and theft and murder and adultery and greed and wickedness and deceit and lustful desires, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. Jesus says, all these vile things come from within. They are what defile you. 
And we're reminded again that we need a transformation on the inside. We need a new heart placed in us by the Spirit of God. Jesus uses those words sexual immorality, and the Greek word there is pornea. Pornea. And we, we see it uh, in, elsewhere in the New Testament. What does pornea include? Another place we see it is in Acts 15. The followers of Jesus are, are meeting together, and when the church first started, most people who were following Jesus were Jewish. And then they began to reach out to those outside their Jewish community, out into the, the Greek and the Roman world. And, and those who had never heard of the Jewish faith, those who had never read the Old Testament or been in a synagogue, became followers of Jesus. And so these early Christians were saying, well, do they have to be Jewish first and then become Christian? Or can they just be Christian? What, what, what from the Old Testament, what from the law are we supposed to bring in to those who are becoming followers of Jesus? And so the Council of Jerusalem met and they made a decision. They wrote a letter. So in Acts 15, we read these words. It seems good to the Holy Spirit and to us to not give you a load that is too heavy to bear. So here's what a few basic rules. They say, we don't want to take all of the Old Testament law and put that on your shoulders. You don't have to become Jewish first, and then you can become a Christian. But there are, they said, a few things that we think would be wise for you to avoid. So they say, don't eat food that's been offered to statues of gods. That's the first one. Don't drink blood. Third, don't eat the meat of animals that have been choked to death. And fourth, don't commit sexual sins. They say, you will do well to keep away from these things. Farewell. <laughs> Go and do it. Go and do it. When the letter here says sexual sins, that's that Greek word pornea again. And, and for the first century Jewish person, when they thought of sexual immorality, when they heard that word pornea, most likely their minds would go back to the Old Testament law, back to the, the book of Leviticus, specifically chapter 18, which talks about sexual immorality. Pornea for the early church in the New Testament, it also had a connection to idolatry, to the worship of, of fake gods, because the culture around the church in that time, the Roman and Greek culture, used uh, sexual behavior in their religious services. And so Paul, he's talking about, don't, don't connect your body to this pagan worship. Uh, he talks about how our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. You are a sanctuary. So don't connect you, your sanctuary, to a false sanctuary. That's one of the things I love about church. This room is not holy. This room is not set aside. When you come in this room, it becomes a place that is holy because you come in, you bring in the Holy Spirit with you as followers of Jesus. You are the ones who are holy that make this place unique in that way. So Paul says, don't connect your body to the wrong sanctuary. Sexual immorality is, is any sexual uh, activity outside of the covenant promise of marriage. And those compromises that we make, they cause us to walk with a spiritual limp. They, they impede our ability to connect with God. Sin gets in the way of what God wants to do in our lives. So sexual behavior before marriage, betray betraying the marriage vow by acting out sexually with someone who is not your spouse, Pornography and porn, which obviously comes from that Greek word pornea, those images that sometimes people will stare at and create in their minds, all of these things are contained in that Greek word pornea. And Jesus said in Matthew 5 about this idea of these mental images we come up with. This is the message paraphrase from Matthew 5. Jesus said, but don't think you've preserved your virtue simply by staying out of bed. Your heart can be corrupted by lust even quicker than your body. Those leering looks you think nobody notices, they also corrupt. Jesus says we're all sexually broken. We all need to come before God and ask for a new way to live. For the first century Jewish man or woman, that Leviticus 18 would be the place they would go to understand sexual immorality. So I want to look at 
the first five verses of Leviticus 18, just to give us the context a little bit. And we know Leviticus was, Moses was writing to the Jewish people who had been enslaved for 400 years, generation after generation after generation. All their family traditions and the routines of their home were based in a, in a slave culture. And, and Moses says, God says through Moses, I brought you out of that. I brought you to freedom. And so there's a new way to live life. There's a new way to operate as your family. There's new traditions to form. And he lays out for them, what does it look like to live as a free person who worships God alone? And Leviticus lays that out. And in 18, he begins to focus in on sexual relations. And it starts in verse one. The Lord said to Moses, speak to the Israelites and say to them, I am the Lord, your God. You must not do as they do in Egypt where you used to live. And you must not do as they do in Canaan where I'm bringing you. He says in Egypt and in Canaan, there's this way of living out sexually that is broken, is not according to my word. And God says to them, I don't want you to live that way. Do not follow their practices. Verse four, you must, you must obey my laws and, and be careful to follow my decrees. I am the Lord, your God. Keep my decrees and laws forever. Whoever obeys them will find life, will live by them. I am the Lord. See how God says he wants to bring them to life wants to offer them life. And he says, this is how you find life. God, God's love and compassion for his people means he wants them walking in ways that help them see his blessing and his love and, and the life that he created them for. Instead of walking towards death and separation, God says, I, I want you to have life. So walk in these ways. And then in Leviticus 18, there's a list of all the, the broken ways people pursue sexual intimacy. It's not God's intention for his people to seek sexual, sexual relations with. And then there's this list. And he talks about close relatives and in-laws and the neighbor's wife and, and animals are listed there. And then towards the end, it says those of the same sex. Leviticus 18.22, do not have sexual relations with a man as one does with a woman. And that, that principle, that calling, that command is repeated in Leviticus 20.13. Last week, Dr. Coles talked about the six passages in the Bible and a Sunday afternoon when we met with him, the six passages that talk about same-sex sexual behavior. And all six of the scriptures say that this is not God's desire for his people. Now, I, I do want to say here that there are Christ followers who don't believe these passages speak against lifelong, one-on-one, -on -one committed same-sex relationships. They believe they, they speak about sexual abuse or exploitation or even an older person forcing sexual acts on a younger person. And, and some would even challenge the book of Leviticus and say, you know, there's a lot of stuff in Leviticus that we don't do any longer. There are a lot of rules there we don't follow. I think about tattoos or wearing mixed fabric clothing or eating pork. But we need to remember there are things in Leviticus that we still embrace and hold on to as true. There are things we still see that God has called us to. In fact, the very first, the next chapter, Leviticus 19, is where Jesus gets the greatest commandment, where he says, love your neighbor as you love yourself. And we still embrace that and hold on to that as true and good. We want to follow that. So, so what does the New Testament have to say to us about same-sex sexual behavior? There's three passages that talk about it. Romans 1, 1 Corinthians 6, and 1 Timothy 1. Each passage written by Paul each passage calling followers of, of Jesus to avoid that kind of behavior. And I want to read from Romans 1 this morning with you and, and see what Paul has to say to us uh, in Romans 1, verse 25 through 30. 
And Paul's starting his letter to the church of Rome, and he talks, starts by saying how, how happy he is to write a letter to them, how much he appreciates their, their faithfulness, how the good word about them has spread around the world. And he, he writes how he longs to be with them so that, that he can uh, talk about God's grace and goodness with them. And then he says, but there's some that don't experience the goodness of God. There are some that, that, are, that don't experience the grace that God has revealed to them because of how they have chosen to live their lives. And so in verse 25, he begins to talk about that. He says, there's some that don't experience the goodness of God because they have exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served created things rather than the creator who is forever praised. And he says, amen right there, because it's a good word. Verse 26, because of this, God gave them over to shameful lusts. Even their women exchanged natural sexual relations for unnatural ones. In the same way, the men also abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed shameful acts with other men and were received in themselves the due penalty for their error. Verse 28, furthermore, just as they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, so God gave them over to a depraved mind so that they do what ought not to be done. They have become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, depravity. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice. They are gossip, slander. There's so much here. God haters, it's hard just to read it. Insolent, arrogant, boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. We, we hear these words and our normal way of hearing them is really religious hypocrisy. As those words are read, we so often think to ourselves, well, at least that's not me. You think about, oh, that's right, Paul. You lay into those people who are living sinful lives. Call them out. I'm glad I'm not like that. Sounds like one of Jesus' parables. Paul is writing all this down to remind us that we're all broken sexually, that we all need to surrender our lives to Christ and ask him to transform us and help us walk in a new way. Paul con condemns everybody in this path, including himself. Sexually immoral, gossips, those who disobey their parents. I mean, that, we're kind of hitting everybody in that passage, right? And then he makes it clear in Romans 2. In case you're missing my point, Romans 2 verse 1. He says, you may think you can, commit, you can condemn such people, but you are just as bad. You have no excuse. When you say they are wicked and should be punished, you are condemning yourself. For you who judge others do the very same things. Have you ever heard a religious leader talk about a hurricane that hit New Orleans or some disease that's going through a population of people and they say it's because God condemns them and they deserve it? That's not what Paul encourages us to do. He says, you are just as guilty. Don't judge others. I share these words with you this morning from Scripture, not to attack anyone or shame anyone. I share them with you because they are the way of life. And God's desire is that we would walk towards life. He loved you and created you for life. And scripture says, avoid sexual immorality. It says, run from it, run from it. I want to recommend a few books to you this morning for further study, if you're interested in doing that. First one is Preston Sprinkle writes this book, People to be Loved. And it's a great book that uh, talks about what does scripture have to say about uh, sexual attraction and, and um, our sexuality. And he does it through the, the lens of relationships with real people that he loves and cares about. And I think it's an excellent book for us to read. Those of you who might be joining me for the posture follow-up discussion group that's going to meet on a few Wednesday nights uh, starting on uh, February 21st, we're going to be looking at a lot of Preston's materials as we read together. 
I want to finish up again by saying that that holy sexuality, living out sexually uh, in a holy way, it's impossible for us to do that. It's impossible for us to do that on our own. Jesus calls us to be holy just as God is holy. There's no way we're going to hit that standard. Paul says, I want you to be perfect. We know this is not possible in our own strength and our own ability. We must stay connected to Jesus. Our goodness cannot come from within ourselves. It has to be grown inside of us by the Spirit of God, the work of the Spirit inside of us as we open our hearts to Him and invite the Spirit to dwell in us and renew us and change who we are, to transform us. If we want to grow in faith and grow in our sexual discipleship, we need to draw life from outside ourselves, from the power and the grace and the truth and the love and the forgiveness of Jesus who calls each one of us by name. Our posture matters. Let's learn how to love, how to walk with people, how to listen to their stories, how to encourage them to explore what scripture has to say. Let's make sure our own identities are, are, are set firmly on, on, the, on the teachings of Jesus, on what he's called us to. I just want to read one, a quote from one more book I want to recommend. This is uh, by Jackie Hill Perry. She writes, Gay Girl, Good God. She writes about her own experience with God as he transforms her and, and created her into a new kind of life. At the end of the book, she says, if God is bigger than we can imagine, why are we wasting our time chasing after something or someone else that is lesser than him? And because we know that he is our all in all, in our temptations and in our trials and in our victories, we must place our ultimate identity not in who we are, but in who we know God to be. We understand ourselves best when we say, God, tell me who I am. God, help me know who you've called me to be. I don't want to fumble around in this world. I don't want to be confused. Make it clear, Father, who you've called me to be. Use your word. Use your people. Use your voice to call me to yourself. We are deeply loved by our God. And he wants us walking towards life. We celebrate that here at Hillcrest. I'm glad we could do this teaching time up front. We want to respond to the scriptures, to what God has said to us by singing songs of praise to this God who walks with us and loves us. So I want to invite the worship team to come up. And in a moment, we're going to sing with them. And I want to invite you to open your hearts to God and invite him to speak to you as we sing these songs. And as they're coming and getting ready here, let's just, let's pray together. Will you talk to God with me? Let's talk to God. Father, we thank you that you are good and faithful, that you created us on purpose, that you know us, that you see us, that, that you have informed who we are. You put us together on purpose. And Lord, we know in this world that there are times when we move away from you. There are times when we trust our own thoughts more than we trust yours. And Father, would you continue to speak to us? Would you continue to refine us and Call us back to yourself. Would you re renew our minds and would you take out of us a heart of stone and put into us a heart that is open to you, that is ready to learn and to be transformed? Father, would you help us evaluate our posture towards others? Help us to love others well. Help us to be willing to walk with them, to listen to their stories, to celebrate with them when things are well in their life, to call them back to you, to invite them to experience your grace and, and your forgiveness. Father, we love you. We trust you. You are good and faithful. We ask that you would move 
in us and through us in these days. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. It's been so good to be together this morning, lifting our voices to God, praising Him. I want to invite our prayer team to come up at this time. Every Sunday, we have volunteers up front to pray with you and encourage you. If there's anything, anything in your life you'd love someone to just hear and pray with you about, come up and let us lift you up this morning. That, that new song, Run, 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 and I'm, I'm thinking like we're going to be saying that later today. <laughs> the Chiefs. Let's keep it running, right? But it's a great reminder that God runs after us, that he pursues us, and so we want to be pursuing this new life with him. Thanks for being here this morning. As you go, be reminded that God puts you together on purpose. He created your inmost being. He calls you by name. So go following him, walking with him. And we'll see you next Sunday. Go with God. Amen.